I have to confess, I'm wrestling with two things this morning. One, the loss of an hour's worth of sleep. That's not a little matter. And two, allergies. Anybody else having major allergy issues these days? Oh, my goodness. I don't know if it's just me or if it's just really, really bad right now. I've heard a lot of people say it's really bad. <clears throat> but that's okay. Because we're going to talk about trust this morning and something that uh, you're probably very familiar with. I'm sure you have seen these words, possibly even this morning already, when you pulled out that change to get your coffee at Starbucks. We see these words every day, and we, of course, of all people, should live like we believe them. The idea of complete trust is something seemingly simple, yet it can be very difficult to live out. Trust necessarily includes waiting on God to work His will over and above our own, having confidence that He is our rock and fortress in times of trouble, and ultimately our only hope for eternal salvation. Now, that should help us sleep well at night, right? I'm sure none of you ever have trouble sleeping. Like, I tossed and turned a little bit last night, preparing for this morning, but this little illustration here, I'm sure, shows what some of you go through. Uh, I think it's kind of funny. I know it's kind of hard to see, but if you'll notice, this little filing cabinet down here says bad memories, things to worry about, and general self-loathing. And here's this little brain is saying, ooh, this one's juicy. Let's dwell on it for a while. Now, the interesting thing about this is, I, as much as I like this little cartoon, this little silly smile, I'm thinking if these things are going through your head, you're probably going to look more like that. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that. I know that I can. <clears throat> well, this is actually what it looks like in my home. I tend to sleep pretty well, and sometimes my wife lies awake in bed. Now, it's not because she's worrying necessarily, but th this is not entirely accurate, because right there, if that were me, my mouth would probably be open, and it would be snoring very loudly. Can't help that. Again, it's the allergy thing. All right, well, if anyone had reason to stay awake with stress, it was David. He had been slandered. He was pursued by those who would kill him, and he generally had some very tough times, the likes of which, as you know, were his own fault in some cases. But we can hardly imagine uh, what he was going through. And it was through these experiences that some of his most comforting songs were inspired. Psalm 4 is one of those, and I think this could be characterized really as David's lullaby. The Holman Christian Standard calls it a night prayer, while the NASB heading says it's an evening prayer of trust in God. Now, as with many of the Psalms, it's to be accompanied by stringed instruments, most likely a simple harp, but of course, over time, somewhere between the harp and the electric guitar, those guys were rocking out with these bad boys here, which I think is pretty cool. Now, appropriately, David begins crying out to God, acknowledging that God alone is the source of salvation and righteousness. Answer me when I call, God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction, sometimes translated as relieved me in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, just as David exclaims here, our hope for righteousness and relief in times of distress are aspects of trusting fully in God. How long, exalted men, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? 
Now, here we see a contrast between David and those who attempt to bring shame and harm to him, which in the case of Psalm 4 is his son Absalom and those who Absalom had convinced to follow him. That's what David's referring to when he uses the terms loving what is worthless and pursuing a lie. There's no question in his mind that his enemies are not pursuing the things of God, but their own vanity through deception. And then there's this term, Selah, right there. Now, much has been considered about this term. You've heard it discussed, I'm sure, before. You may have read articles about it. Is it a musical interlude? Now, I was leading a discussion on the Psalms in the college group a few weeks back, and this term came up, so I was being funny, or I thought I was. And I said, yeah, that's probably a guitar solo, you know, electric guitar solo right there, Selah. So I was sharing this story with my wife later on, who was rolling her eyes at how I thought I was so funny. And I said, okay, uh, granted, they probably didn't have electric guitars back then. And she stopped me right away. She said, probably. But, you know, who knows? We lost a lot in the dark ages, right? All right, let's keep going. All right. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. I really like how the New Living Translation states this point. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Have you ever said something in anger that you later regretted? I didn't think so. Probably not many of you. I have, though. So trust leads to peace and hope, but also, as we see within this same passage, a sense of purpose or identity. Now, on his excellent website, soniclight.org, which I do recommend if any of you are doing personal Bible study or even teaching, Dr. Thomas Constable states this comment about David's godliness. He says, David's godliness was the result of God's calling, not the reason for it. Because the Lord had set him aside for a special purpose of his own, David was confident that God would hear his prayer. On this point, let us not forget that we are also set apart to serve the Lord with a special purpose of our own, each and every one of us, and to do good works, as Ephesians 2.10 makes clear. Now, we love to quote verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 give us a clear definition of how one is saved. But we should move on to verse 10, where we see why we are saved, to do those good works that God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. Each and every one of us has a special purpose. All right, verse 5, offer sacrifices in righteousness or right sacrifices here, he's saying, and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who can show us anything good? Look on us with favor, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. Trusting in the Lord completely leads to joy. Again, I like the way Dr. Constable puts it as, uh, as the joy that David felt as he was trusting in God's will. He says, knowing that he was God's chosen servant and that those who sought to overthrow him were acting contrary to the will of God brought great joy to David's heart. He said he felt more joy than he experienced during Israel's harvest festivals, and those were some of the happiest occasions of the year. David's making a really big point here. Now, next we have the knockout punch, literally, really knockout punch. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. This is why I consider this to be David's lullaby. Now, if you're looking for another great book on the Psalms, 
I recommend Ben Patterson's God's Prayer Book. It has really helped me in the spiritual discipline of prayer. When there's times when you feel like you don't really know what to say to God or how to pray, that's an area, I'll be honest with you, in, in which I struggle. And this book has really helped. Anyway, here's a little of what he has to say about Psalm 4. He says, God is better than anyone else at doing the right thing. No more sleepless nights brooding over slander and plots. God would take care of him and them. That's David and his enemies. To believe this is to be free to lie down and sleep in peace. And furthermore, to live this way is to live and sleep like Jesus, who did not retaliate when he was insulted or threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Psalm 4 should make us feel like we can plop down and chill. I love that. Now, one last thought about Psalm 4. We should challenge ourselves. We should examine our hearts. Are we open to accepting the peace, the purpose, the joy, and the rest that comes from trusting completely in the Lord? Often we're resistant to the promises of God. I mean, there's a reason why we have coined phrases such as drama queen and drama king. It's because sometimes we like drama. We can't accept the fact that at night we can sleep peacefully by trusting in the Lord. It's easy to resist that. Now, Wayne is quoted from Tim Keller's excellent book as well, and here's a bit of what he has to say about Psalm 4. Uh, He says, Consider whether you have a divided heart. Making success or relationships into idols, these things can keep you awake at night. Or I should say worrying about these things. And repent. Consider whether you have a bitter heart and forgive. Finally, in prayer, seek God's face, a sense of his presence, and his love on your heart. Then we can know we are safe in God, come what may. Knowing we are safe in God probably looks something like this. Yeah, it's okay, I know. Oh, it's it's on purpose. All right, well, trusting in the Lord leads to peace, purpose, joy, and rest, but trusting in the Lord also leads to security, freedom, salvation, and assurance. You're probably familiar with this poster right here, right? Most of you have seen this before. Some of you probably even have it on a mug or a T-shirt. But did you know that it was one of three These other two here, uh, freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. Your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. And then, of course, the iconic keep calm and carry on. Interesting fact that I discovered in looking at this, the first two were the only ones to ever be released to the public. And yet the third one is the most iconic. I found this commentary on the, uh, the history of it. It says, Keep Calm and Carry On was coined by the Shadow Ministry of Information at some point between 27 June and 6 July 1939. It was produced as part of a series of three posters that would be issued in the event of war, which we know came. The Keep Calm design was never officially issued, and only a very small number of originals have survived to the present day, and yet it has had the most impact. And I think its message is the one that's actually the most significant. Keep calm and carry on. Of course, these days, we're just as likely to see something like this. <laughs> or these, I actually like. Stay alive and avoid zombies, for you Walking Dead fans out there. Keep calm and love pizza. 
Keep calm and call Batman. Of course, Anne, my favorite. Keep calm and rock on. But I like this one too. Keep calm and read Psalm 91. So we're going to do that right now. Psalm 91 is often referred to as the soldier's psalm. There are stories from pretty much every conflict that we've been involved in of military leaders encouraging the reading of Psalm 91 with their units. One of the most interesting concerns the 91st Infantry Brigade in World War I, no coincidence there, of course, the commander, who was a devout Christian, read Psalm 91 with his troops regularly. They recited it daily, and they were known as one of the units to have the least amount of casualties throughout the war. Now, the interesting fact about that is that some of the same battles they entered to with other units, the other units lost up to 90% of their troops. It's pretty amazing. Now, in his foreword to the book uh, Psalm 91, God's Shield of Protection, Lieutenant Kerry Cash begins to unpack the special connection between the psalm and the soldier. He writes, God floods the hearts and souls of men and women rushing into the teeth of battle. It is a life-changing decision to place oneself completely into the loving hands of him who is greater than the battlefield. Such faith is nowhere more vividly demonstrated than in the words of Psalm 91. The soldier's psalm has for thousands of years given warriors a reservoir of truth to draw from when the night is dark and the hour is difficult. And by the way, we do not know who the author of Psalm 91 is. But I can guarantee it was probably a warrior of some kind. So, to quote the motto of the 325th Airborne Infantry Regiment, my alma mater, if you will, and yes, that's me. No, those aren't all mine. Let's go. All right, Psalm 91, the protection of the Most High. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. Now this imagery is like a great fortress or great wall, like this great wall here protecting this village. And the symbolism of wings throughout Scripture, when used in the abstract, meaning not a specific illustration like the wings of an eagle or the wings of a dove, when used in the abstract, they typify shelter, strength, and speed. And by the way, this slide here, yes, it's an Easter egg for some of you guys out there. If anybody knows what that is, feel free to tell me later. All right, let's move on to, to uh, verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Love this painting here. Peter Bruegel the Elder. You've got to love that name. What's your name? Peter Bruegel the Elder. And he painted this, The Triumph of Death. Now, I know it's kind of hard to see it, uh, but this painting includes several scenes here that are rather horrifying, as you can probably tell. And he certainly would have understood the, uh, the impact that war, plague, and pestilence has, including other disasters. So you have this scene here where you have pretty much every kind of horrible death imaginable taking place. The psalmist is saying you will not fear. 
And it's easy to see why this is called the soldier's psalm. It invokes a deeper type of trust. When witnessing the horror of these things, and that's the imagery that you have here, our natural reaction is terror and fear. Remember this, Psalm 91, is a song to inspire courage and reliance upon the Lord. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent, for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Do those two verses sound familiar to any of you? They should. Those last two verses were the ones that Satan used when he was tempting Jesus in the desert. Another beautiful painting there. A more contemporary artist, I think, does an excellent job of depicting that. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because he is lovingly devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. The idea of placing ourselves out there, completely letting go, and trusting something or someone other than ourselves is difficult. That's, that's a reality, especially in our culture. However, if you look around, I'm sure you could find examples of trust in everyday life, of you having to trust others or your, even yourself. Now, some are more intense and obvious than others. I want to share a personal example with you of in many days past how I had to show trust in a number of people. I'm going to show a video, and I would like for you to watch this video. See how many examples of trust you can spot in this video, and then when it's over, I'll share with you uh, just a few of my observations. what makes paratroopers different from other soldiers, their lives hanging literally by threads attached to a canopy. If that canopy doesn't open properly, the trooper is dead before he can fight. And the parachute won't open properly unless it is packed the right way. Used to be uh, that an individual soldier years, years, years ago packed his individual parachute and then jumped at. But we have uh, experienced riggers that packed a parachute. He's placed the parachute in uh, proper layout. He's folding the gores, making sure a certain number of air uh, gets between the gores, and they fold down and lay across the suspension lines in a, in a very, uh, very precise way. Uh, time warning, they'll turn around and give them a 10 minutes. At that time, the jumpers will then, jump masters go ahead and still stand up. And the next command will be hook up. They'll turn around and hook their static lines up to the anchor line cable. And both jump masters are on both doors will lick each other and give each other a thumbs up and then give the jumpers a command of stand by. At that time, 
time of standby, the jumpers will turn around and extend their arms all the way out. So therefore, they give their arms a one second interval in between jumpers. Now at that time, the jumpers are continuing to exit until everybody's out of the aircraft. At the same time these peacekeepers are jumping, another unit of the 82nd is practicing a combat jump. What we're trying to do tonight, it's very similar to what we'd actually do in combat. The, uh, the key to this whole piece is uh, conducting an airfield seizure, airborne assault, and uh, basically what we try to do is seize an airfield in order to bring in follow-on forces to build up combat power. In this case, we're gonna put approximately 600 paratroopers on the ground in, in less than about 61 seconds. This time the, uh, the heavy drop has gone in, the airborne assault is complete. This time the soldiers are on the drop zone assembling, uh, gaining accountability, uh, getting their minimum force requirements so that they can begin the assault. This is exactly what the 82nd does for a living. And this is what they do best, jumping and fighting. And they wouldn't have it any other way. Nope, they wouldn't have it any other way. Now, the most obvious one is what? The parachute, right? Oh, you have to trust in a parachute. That is true. However, there are a few other factors involved here whenever you do an airborne operation. You have to trust the pilot. You have to trust that they didn't go out the night before on a bender. They show up hungover to t pilot C-130. That could cause lots of problems for everybody on board. You have to trust the navigator. Uh, most paratroopers at one time or another have ended up in the trees or water, when they weren't supposed to end up in the water. Sometimes you are. Uh, the navigator's got to get you to where you're supposed to go. Now, the crew chief, this is a special member of the aircraft. They're responsible for general maintenance and taking care of the aircraft itself. But more importantly, for the paratrooper, they hand out the earplugs and the barf bags. Now, the safety is the guy, when they opened up the door, right, and he's wearing a parachute, just a real slender-looking one, and a helmet, looks like a flight helmet, checking the doors. That's what the safety does. They also receive those lines that they were talking about, that the paratroopers extend their arm. It's called a static line that actually deploys the parachute. They are responsible for controlling those lines because a loose static line could cause a lot of damage. And the jump master is the guy who was given the instructions. And he's actually going to jump with the unit and also responsible for making sure that all of the gear, everything that the paratrooper is wearing, is properly uh, situated and adjusted on that person and that there's no additional uh, danger areas. <clears throat> now the rigger, of course, this is the one that's most obvious, the guy that packs your parachute. You certainly want to be able to trust them. The jumper in front of you, you want to make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. And the jumper behind you, you want to make sure they don't do anything stupid. We actually had a saying uh, that if you're not scared, I don't want to jump with you. And finally, the ground crew. Uh, in most operations, there's some type of a crew watching out to make sure that there's no uh, obstacles or too high of a winds on a training jump. In an actual combat situation, you might have something that's called a pathfinder unit. Uh, that might go in and clear the area for you ahead of time to scout and make sure that you, they essentially know what you're doing. So think about your own experiences in relation to this, just your own daily routine. I realize this is a little extreme. Not everyone has the privilege of experiencing this. However, most of, not all of you, get behind the wheel of a car. 
So you have to trust either your mechanic or the people that manufactured the car, the other people on the road. We actually practice trust each and every day of our lives. Now, there is an important point of clarification that I want to share when it comes to this completely trusting in the Lord. The security, the freedom, the salvation, and the assurance that we are promised does not guarantee a life that is free of hardship. I want to make that clear. But it does guarantee God's comforting presence, His strength, and the assurance of eternal life through His salvation. Again, I really like the way Ben Patterson states this. He says, The promises of Psalm 91 are meant to engender trust, not presumption. It's not a quid pro quo, like if I trust you, will you give me this? Like all genuine prayer, their purpose is not for us to get God to give us what we want, like specifically to smite our enemies, or for example, the Chicago Blackhawks, or the Redskins, or pick your team, but for us to trust him to give us what he wants, and in the manner he wants to give. Those who trust the Lord will be cared for in all the ways the psalm says, but not always in the ways we think. And it's important to remember, as he adds here from Isaiah, his ways are not our ways. However, one way that we often forget is the way of what the Psalms are really meant to be, okay? Now, what is that? Remember, these are songs. These are songs of trust. And in the case of Psalm 91, this is a rousing cry, a rousing call to put our trust in God above. In times of trouble, in times of despair. So I think we should modernize it a little bit. We're going to bring this into the 21st century, and I'm going to really need your help on this one. What we're going to do is we're going to do a song together. We're going to do a song that's based on Psalm 91. It's some Louisiana blues. Some of you may have heard of it before. It's called Shelter Me. So when I say we're going to do it, the only way this is going to work is if you join me. So I'm going to teach you a refrain, and you are going to have to sing that refrain, and you're going to have to sing it loudly. We're not going to get out of here until you do. <laughs> Don't worry, though. I'll teach it to you. Now, I, I realize, too, it might be a little high for some of you to sing. That's okay. If it is, don't worry about it. I want you to yell. That's okay. Because remember, just like David danced in joy to the Lord, right? We can cry out to God. It's okay to yell. In, even in church, it's okay to yell. So... Okay, so the refrain, the words are, shelter me underneath your wings. That's what you're going to be singing. And I'm going to go ahead and play the melody line for you, because so I don't mess it up singing it. So it's, shelter me, Lord, underneath your wings. Now you try it. Shelter me, Lord, underneath your wings. Nice, not a bad job, not a bad job. I think first service might have done a little better. Try it again. Ready? Shelter me, Lord, underneath your wings. Okay, so you're going to see where this refrain is on the lyrics as we play the song. Whenever you see shelter me, Lord, underneath your wings, join in, okay? All right, let's go. Shake the sky come down. 
it feels good every once in a while to cut loose, right? And this is what the psalmists were doing. This is what it was all about. Now, again, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the psalms in the college group, and Justin Metz uh, made a comment in our discussion that I thought was really good. He said, we rely on ourselves the most when we are in the midst of something difficult. And I stopped for a minute. I went, wow, you know, that's such a simple statement, but yet it's profound because it's true. And it's those times that are, that are difficult when we should be relying the most on the Lord and trusting in him and remembering the words of these psalms. Now, you can never go wrong quoting Jesus on a subject. And what he had to say about worry and staying up at night worrying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, if this concept of trust, the concept of living in the confidence that you are one of God's chosen is a foreign idea to you, or maybe not, maybe it's something you're familiar with, but you've never actually trusted in Christ alone for salvation. Let me encourage you today. I want you to think about the fact that our hope is found in eternity, not in this life. And it's only by trusting in Christ that you have that hope for eternity. And myself, the other pastors on staff, we're always available to talk to you, to answer questions. If you want to pray with somebody, we have a prayer team here at the front. I would encourage you, meditate on what we've talked about today, trusting in the Lord. Think about trusting in Christ if you have not done so. Trusting in the Lord, trusting in Christ for salvation, leads to peace, to purpose, to joy, and to rest as well as security and freedom, of course, salvation and assurance that we will be with the Lord for eternity. Singing and praying the Psalms of trust should definitely help us sleep well, much like this guy. I see you guys, of course. All right, I'm going to pray for our offering now, and then Wayne's going to come up. Lord, thank you for this time we have today. Thank you for the privilege it is to give. That you've called us, Lord, to be here in this time and in this place to minister to the world around us. I pray that as we go from here, we're always mindful that it is your kingdom that we serve, Lord, not our own, and that we do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.